Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a podcast by two guys who are more than a little embarrassed to have a podcast about Star Trek The Next Generation. I am Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How embarrassed are you today, Ben? Oh, you know, less so than normal. Really? I had fun with this episode. I have a, I have a baseline level of embarrassment that would shock. I think that... I go through life feeling a little bit embarrassed about just about everything. Uh, so, you know, the, like having this show has not amplified my embarrassment that much. Yeah, except like no one knew who I was before this show. And now they, <laughs> now they know me for all the wrong reasons. I think that there's something to living your truth, though. Like, like being a dorkasword out in the open... Is somehow it eats at your soul less than being a Dorkazord in the shadows. You know what that that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I think that's a good goal to have. Yeah, I need to live my truth. Yeah, go out and buy some cargo shorts and uh, Super Nintendo Entertainment System T-shirts, and uh, you know some back issues of Nintendo Power. <laughs> yeah, and brush up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, people will know you for who you are, and you're going to be a happier person for it. Yeah, I think so. I'm feeling a lot of, like, inner conflict about this whole thing. you got to let it go. Just let that shit go. Ben, why don't you take us through the Peabody Award-winning episode, The Big Goodbye? Okay, so the Enterprise is heading for... Tarona 4 to talk to the Haradin, um, who we're told are an insect-like race that are fanatically devoted to issues of protocol. And uh, and so Picard is going to have to greet them in their own language perfectly in order to satisfy their uh, in- incredibly exacting standards. So he spends a lot of time in his ready room at the beginning of the episode working on the pronunciation and he's apparently looking at some pronunciation guide that doesn't actually illuminate it because there's all these little technical rules like if there's a squiggle after <laughs> the z then you hold the z but if it's if there are three lines you know it's, it's like three they, wavy lines yeah they they've managed to apply technobabble to linguistics uh, showing the true prowess of Star Trek writers. Did you um, notice that Picard it was so like hunkered down in his studies that they covered up his window? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, there was a big uh, silver panel over the window that looks out into space. Wow, it doesn't want to get distracted by them, them nebulae. I guess not. So Troy is like, Captain, you're stressing. Why don't you blow off some steam in the holodeck they've just been refitted and upgraded and uh you're just gonna you're just you just need to you just need to get your mind off this stop stressing about it so more rocks than ever is the upgrade (laughs) now with better rocks now with more plausible rocks (laughs) 
Uh, so, so now, Pic- now it's waterproof. <laughs> so Picard uh, wanders down to the holodeck, and we get like a captain's log explaining what the holodeck is. Which is <laughs> kind of a weird choice, given that we are now eleven episodes into this, and the holodeck has come up on like a good many of the episodes so far. But he uh, fires up this Dixon Hill program, which is a hard-boiled private detective Dashiell Hammett-type story set in San Francisco in the 40s. And uh, he goes into his office and his, his you know, Brooklyn-accented secretary uh, is very amused at his bellhop uniform, which is what she interprets his Starfleet uniform to be. And uh, there begins pretty to be, be... Yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. There begins to be a, a running gag that he lost a bet <laughs> to all the characters in the uh in the holodeck. So he's gonna um he's gonna play this detective and this uh leggy dame hires him to find out who's trying to kill her and uh he's about to start his adventure when he decides to pause the program and uh check in on their on their progress getting to Tarona four. So um, they have like a conference where it seems like it seems almost as though Captain Picard has convened a conference to tell <laughs> his senior staff about how much he enjoyed his little make-believe holodeck experience. Yeah, he's going on and on about how real it is. And meanwhile, like he's been walking around with lipstick on his face. Yeah, his his crew uh, lets him stand there telling them all this shit while he has a lipstick kiss on his mouth from one of the holodeck characters. Riker's like fully leaned back from the conference room table, like looking at him over his nose, like I've had way worse things stuck to my face after a <laughs> session in the holodeck. Like, you fucking rube. <laughs> I have bruises under my uniform right now. (laughs) Will Riker and the holodeck jokes ever get old? I think not. (laughs) So uh, Picard uh, decides to invite Dr. Crusher and this 20th century historian who's for some reason stationed aboard the Enterprise to join him. On the holodeck, and that uh, invitation is so awkward, though. Yeah, like, Beverly is like inches away from his face, wiping off another woman's makeup. She's like, "Can I come along?" And Picard's like, "Sure, sounds great." Oh, you know who else we should bring? Is <laughs> <laughs> our 20th century expert, and Beverly is like, like she's been punched in the stomach, crushed. Yeah, like that was another instance of Beverly again, like making a pass at Picard. Picard just. Just Being oblivious. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's not t- even turning her down at this point. He just doesn't understand. Yeah. You have to wonder about what, what type of game he's playing with her, or if he is genuinely oblivious. He may be only interested in childish games. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic, nodding. Picard and Waylon, the uh, the historian, uh, prepare to re-enter the holodeck, this time in period-appropriate costumes. And uh, Data pops off of the nearby turbo lift and asks if he can, if he can come too. And uh, Picard's like, all right, come along. And 
they go in and they discover they they're sort of walking around like an exterior scene and uh they purchase a newspaper and uh discover that the lady that had hired Dixon Hill has been killed and then uh, no sooner do they find this out than a couple of plainclothes detectives come and and pick him up and take him down to the police station the scene where they enter though I thought was pretty awesome from a technical standpoint. Like, oh, yeah. I think this is the first time that they open up, uh, let you see the ship from inside a complex set. Yeah. Uh, a complex holodeck set. Like, typically, when we're inside the holodeck, we're seeing a bunch of rocks and a psych. Uh, and the door looks like it could be practical. Like, it looks, it looks like it belongs there anyway. But this is the first time we're actually in a totally different scene. Yeah, this in, is in like this a case, Hollywood like, backlot of like a of like an urban place. Like it it probably is used to be New York uh on more TV shows than anything, but this yeah. is being uh set up to be San Francisco. Although I guess every character they interact with has a New York accent, which is a little <laughs> a little bit stupid, but uh they might not even know the difference though in the 24th century. Like an accent's an accent probably. That's a good point. Um given that they consider French to be an ancient language. Anyway, uh, I just thought it was really cool. Like, it was cool. You, There's you like look- a wide shot with like, you know, period costumes and cars. And then in the background, you see like the hallway on the Enterprise just beyond the the door to the Yeah, the difference the is the depth. You usually see it like sort of in profile or in three quarter, but you can actually see like all the way down. And it's And it's genuinely awesome. Yeah, and it holds up too. Like this is... 1988. Yeah. Uh, FX aren't usually this good. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if it was now, you, you would like throw in some sort of motion controlled camera movement and, uh, and like really, really revel in the fact that it's two spaces that shouldn't be connected being connected. But uh, look, this is, this is Peabody level uh, effects work right here. I think we can agree. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's what they give the Peabody for. If I know the Peabody, that's what they give it for. <laughs> Back in the real world, the Enterprise is kind of entering Haradan space, and they are scanned at long distance by the Haradan. And this is like a very invasive scanning technique because there's like pink light traveling around the ship, and it causes the ship to shake. And as the pink light passes over the control panel for the holodeck, the panel flickers and you can tell that something has gone wrong. So when Dr. Crusher shows up a second later to go into the holodeck, like the door opens halfway and then closes, surprising her before it opens all the way up and lets her in. Yeah, it's uh, like going into a supermarket in the bad part of town. Like the the automatic door is just not working right. Mm -hmm. As a lifelong goer into of supermarkets in the bad part of town. You've gone into for years, haven't you? Hashtag can confirm. <laughs> that checks out. I guess uh, Riker kind of gets on the radio with the Haradin, and the Haradin are saying, like, we're expecting to be addressed by the captain, and we're going to be really insulted if it's any anybody but the captain. And I guess we know that they've, like, destroyed entire s- starships for insulting them in the past. So there's some, there's some stakes here. The crew starts trying to call the captain up to the bridge uh, but find that the holodeck is incommunicado with the rest of the ship the doors won't open and 
the Haradin signal has affected the holodeck's functions. The people inside the holodeck find this out when uh, they head back to Dixon Hill's office after the police turn them loose, and a bunch of gangsters show up, uh, and one of them shoots the uh, Waylon guy, the uh, the historian character, and it actually draws blood, and his life is actually imperiled. It's like a, the holodeck usually has safeties, and somehow this Haradin probe has has disabled them. This was a really surprising scene, I bet, because uh, to me, Waylon was like the ultimate red shirt. Like, yeah. They didn't even introduce him properly. He just sort of uh, glommed on to Picard as he's going into the holodeck. He has no introduction at all. Right. Uh, and then he shot moments later. Like, that figures. Yeah. And, and like, I mean... He would have been a red shirt anyways, because if you're if you're the captain of a ship and you're like, who do we have? Like, we're, we have to beam somebody down that's almost certainly going to, uh, you know, be in mortal danger. Uh, and we have a thousand people on this ship. Uh, why don't we beam down the guy who's an expert in 20th century history? Like, how fucking expendable are you if, if that's your expertise in this environment? He thought he was safe. Yeah. Y- you think those holodeck bullets aren't going to... I'm going to kill you, but they clearly do. So uh, Dr. Crusher starts trying to care for this guy's wound, and Picard and Data realize that the holodeck is malfunctioning because they can't, you know, call up the door or pause the program or anything. And uh, they're in this kind of standoff scene with these gangsters, the boss of which is Cyrus Redblock, a, a bald, you know, mean, but obviously very smart, uh, villain who's who's demanding a certain object, and you, every time every time one of these characters brings up a certain object, you can feel the finger quotes that they want <laughs> to be doing <laughs> around it, and it's obviously like supposed to be like a Maltese Falcon like uh, MacGuffin, but they never even name. It's like they don't give like it they the forgot to give the MacGuffin an interesting name. <laughs> so, I was so happy when uh, Cyrus showed up because uh, he's played by one of those classic that guys. Uh, yeah, it's totally. Lawrence Tierney. It's Joe Cabot from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and that made me real happy. He is just the greatest at chewing up scenes. I yeah, love him. A, a ton of charisma, and a, there's a lot of fun stuff where you know, like Data doesn't. You know, they can tell there's something is wrong with Data, but. You know, since they're holodeck characters, they won't be able to wrap their mind around him being an android. But they they do a lot of trying to explain what the holodeck is, and Red Block is like, "Yeah, enough of your bullshit." <laughs> like, <laughs> he's God, he's so great. His voice is so awesome. Yeah, I feel like uh, like if Robert Logja drops a script, Lawrence Tierney's going to grab it before it hits the ground. Like, if you need a gravelly voice, tough guy, like Lawrence Tierney's it. Totally. If you can't get Logja. Yep. So uh, outside the holodeck, Wesley and Jordy are working frantically to uh, to figure out how to how to save the folks inside. And Wesley has used this diagnostic tool to figure out that uh, <laughs> that the holodeck has. I guess turned the crew into holograms themselves. So if he turns off the system, it might just restore them to being people, but it might turn them off as well. In effect, 
So that seems like a bug that uh, they wouldn't really allow. Yeah, you on. wouldn't want that to to leave the factory before you figured out how to avoid <laughs> that little problem from arising. It's great that uh, that the way Wes figures this out is through like looking through a microscope type type de- One of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
vice. Yeah, that's like stowed in the wall with all of the circuit what boards. What is he looking at? I guess he's like, I guess there's like miniature little circuit boards in there that they have, I mean. See, I thought for a second he was actually looking at the scene. Like he's looking at what's happening in the holodeck. Oh, that's interesting. No, because he doesn't it, really talk about what's going on in there. There's no way Riker would allow that either. Yeah, yeah. If that if that device is was was in that wall panel, you want to disable has, that. Riker, Riker has confiscated all of those. <laughs> yeah, that's what he puts his sock on before he goes in. <laughs> They decide, like, you know, there's a risk, definitely, that everybody in the holodeck is going to die, but the Haradin are going to kill us all if the if the captain doesn't make it up to the the bridge pretty soon. So it's sort of it's sort of do or die, and Riker orders them to attempt a shutdown of the holodeck, and and for whatever reason, the the way this manifests itself from the perspective of the characters inside is that the doors open and then they're like, yeah, see, see Mr. Red Block, you are on a holodeck. Like you are on a spaceship in space and that's, that's the door to our world. And he gets like really excited that he's going to be able to commit crime on a whole new level in a whole new (laughs) environment. A whole new world of plunder. And he and uh, his henchman, Mr. Leech, uh, walk out into the the hallway of the Enterprise, which is uh, for some reason empty. Like, Jordy and Wesley and Riker are not out there. <laughs> That's so, a great call. I didn't pick that up. I guess it it must just be a different door. It doesn't make any sense that they're not there. Yeah. Yeah, they should be there. There's only one door in and out of the holodeck, right? As far as I know. Yeah. So that's a that's a weird little That's <laughs> a pretty error. big continuity error. Uh but anyways, they walk out and they st- slowly start to disappear. And there's some pretty funny, like, you know, 1940s complaints about the fact that they are vanishing into thin air. What, what are they doing? They can't do this to me. Don't they know who I am? At no point did they attempt to walk two feet back into <laughs> where they came from, though. Well, their they're, feet disappeared. How could they walk? They're pretty content to just uh, stand there being slowly chewed up like... The photograph from Back Back to the Future, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely, like, the way they disappear is definitely in the same order and in the same direction as uh, <laughs> the photograph from Back to the Future. It's a timeless effect. So, despite the fact that time is of the essence, Picard walks back into the holodeck after uh, releasing the Doctor and Data to uh, to get Waylon back to the sick bay and uh, has a little like sort of deep briefs with with the detective character that's also been part of this whole standoff situation and uh the detective character is like clearly pretty sad to be seeing Dixon Hill go and doesn't really understand the fact that he's going to the real world where he's the captain of a spaceship and uh they have this really weirdly emotional <laughs> goodbye scene where the character says, I guess this is the big goodbye. <laughs> and then they both turn to camera for they, a beat. There, there's definitely like, there was definitely a moment where I thought they might lean in and, and just tenderly kiss each other on the lips. <laughs> they had exactly like six lines with each other the entire show. But they there is a gravity to that scene that yeah. we're supposed to really appreciate. And I... 
didn't. I sort of feel like they might have come up with the title of the episode before <laughs> yeah. they came up with exactly what happened, and then they, they were wrote like, it back oh, shit, there's not like a love interest character, really, so we can't have have him say that to her, so we'll just we'll just tack this little scene on to, to justify the Is title. that the unrecorded love? <laughs> Is that what we're meant to understand? Yeah, it's very strange. But uh so God, everyone wants Picard's junk, huh? <laughs> sure do. Uh except for the one person that keeps getting it. The boy. <laughs> <laughs> so Picard runs up to the bridge of the Enterprise. He says the nonsense that he's been practicing. Ah, the Haradin accept it, saying that it will be the beginning of a new era of peace and diplomacy between their people. And then that's it. Like, the Enterprise just leaves. Like, that's all they came to do. It's so weird. And you never see them either, which was such a fucking tease, right? Yeah. Like, they're described as being scary insect things. Yeah. And look, if they were never going to look at them, why don't you just have Data use Picard's voice and and say the greeting perfectly and then nail the test, right? Totally. They could have totally cheated. Damok, Angelad, Tanagra. There was one scene that I really wanted to talk about, which is in the uh, as they're like leaving the police station, uh, the doctor is is uh, in her period costume and and waiting for for them to leave, and she's kind of watching a, a holographic woman uh, do you know put on some foundation makeup and check her hair in her little compact mirror, and the doctor is kind of like imitating this because it's all very new to her as a. Uh, as a as a future woman and uh and then like the the captain comes out and and uh like they definitely like make plans to go back to his like to Dixon Hill's office for sexy time before uh you know data yeah, goes was... like can i come too <laughs> you know which is the second cock block that that data does in the yeah. episode yeah, data, yeah, they're they're totally gonna desk fuck, and yeah. and data blows it. Data blows it for them, and it's the first. You know, maybe this would have been the the way that Picard, uh, you know, reacquaints himself with the the pleasures of adult consensual sex. <laughs> uh, Beverly gets hit on in that scene, also. Yeah, by uh, that, by the uh, sergeant, the desk sergeant. The sergeant, what's funny about this scene is like the sergeant offers her a piece of gum. <laughs> Beverly knows enough about what gum is that she takes it, you know, takes it out of the wrapper, puts it in her mouth and chews it. But the the punchline is that she swallows it like, oh, silly Beverly doesn't know what to know, doesn't know what to do with chewing, chewing gum. But like, how did she ever get that far? Like, if she knows enough about chewing gum to know that you unwrap it and put it in your mouth... Why is she swallowing it? Adam, I just want you to reflect on the fact that 
You are It makes me so angry. Recording a podcast where you're complaining about a character not knowing quite how chewing gum works in a sci-fi television show from the 80s. I would like you to edit out the last 90 seconds, please. <laughs> my future depends on it. <laughs> my social future, my professional future, everything. I'll see what I can do. That was not a Peabody award-winning comment right there by me. That was a disaster. If it's going to make the episode any worse, I'm not going to edit it out, but I I promise you that I will do my best to reduce how embarrassing this is for you. Well, thanks. I am the cutest of all. There are four lights. Hey, Ben. Yeah, Adam. Who's your drunk Shimoda? Um, I think mine in this episode is Jordy, and my reasoning is uh, they're they're radioing to to get the captain up to the bridge, and uh, it turns out he's on the holodeck and they can't reach him. So Riker tells Jordy like go down there and figure out what's going on. Jordy tries to get in and can't, and basically becomes useless for the rest of the episode. Like he does, like he he radios back up. Like I can't get in here. There's nothing I can do. It takes Wesley insisting to Riker on going down there and and trying to to figure out how to get the doors open before anybody is really proactively working on this problem. And we know that Jordy is like technically savvy, but he fucking just stands there and doesn't do shit. Like his visor's got to be at least as good as that diagnostic tool that that Wesley is using to to scan the circuit boards or whatever. And uh and he's like literally just standing there. Like he's like precious time is being wasted because Jordy just doesn't really step up and try to fix the problem. I mean, those are the actions of a man who who I mean, I'm not thinking of him for chief engineer at this point, that's for sure. I mean, if this is a job interview, you can forget it. <laughs> Like, that's not uh, that's not demonstrating potential. Yeah, that's not going above and beyond. This is uh, yeah, and, and I guess he's kind of lucky that Picard uh, wasn't really around to observe this bullshit. My drunk Shimoda is Data, hmm. actually, and the reason for that is he is the guy that doesn't pick up on social cues. Like, yeah. he crashes Picard's party twice, and. Totally. You know, I'm going to give a half Shimoda to Picard <laughs> because they just let it happen. Like, you can say no to Data. You're the captain. Hey, Data, why don't you sit this one out? And the great uh, thing about Data is his feelings aren't going to be hurt. Yeah. Like, he'll take that shit at face value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and he won't do it for some reason. This happens over and over again. <laughs> Picard is too nice. Yeah. Uh, and that to me, uh, that to me earns them a little bit of a fractional Shimoda for each of them. <laughs> a little dusting of Shimoda. Manner. Yeah, just a little sprinkle of Shimoda. I am Locutus aboard. You are bored. I am Locutus aboard. You will assist us. The next episode we have coming up is episode 12 Data Lore. Data's android lookalike formulates an evil master plan that could destroy the Enterprise. What do you remember about this episode, Adam? 
this is the one where they find like uh, like junk parts, like data junk parts, right? Yeah, data, it's like data the, puts them all together. The laboratory where data was constructed, and they they had no idea that there was another Sung type android in the in the universe, but it turns out there is, and it like it's a it's a dead ringer for data. Uh, because in fact he is played by the same actor. Is that why? <laughs> no, I think it's like an Olsen twins type situation. Oh, oh yeah. It's That's Brent that. Spiner and Fred Spiner. <laughs> I love Fred Spiner. Oh, he's the best. You know, he never got the big break like Brent did, though. Yeah. Uh, the the reception of this was pretty unkind. Uh, <laughs> Have we come uh, Laura's- across an episode that hasn't had unkind? I guess the last, I guess this, uh, the big goodbye was the, uh, yeah. I mean, this one's not getting the Peabody, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, Lore seems to lack any motivation for what he was intending to do and makes the crew look pretty stupid. I feel like Lore's just a sociopath, though, right? Like, that's the reason that he wasn't the final, the final model was that he was, he was amoral. I I mean now we're getting into an area that I, where I just don't remember that level of detail about the episode. So sure. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see this one. Even if even if I had a veto, I wouldn't use it. Yeah, I don't think I would either. I I I'm excited to see this one. I like all the like data backstory episodes. There's not that many of them, but I think they're always pretty good, right? It gives uh, Brent Spiner. I'm going to be clear. I'm not not just going to use Spiner, given what we know about uh, his twin brother. Uh, I'm going to give him a lot of credit. He tends to do a great job when he's given a lot to do in an episode. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that is all the time we have for this episode. And uh, I've had a lot of fun talking about Star Trek The Next Generation with you, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, that was tons of fun. And the best part is no one heard it. Yep. Just a private conversation between you and me. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. (laughs) Well, I've been Ben Harrison. Uh, I'm still Adam Pranica. See you next time.